Tim Finley loves a challenge. An Air Force Honor Guard captain who was deployed in Iraq came home to a world that had changed. He turned to horses to help him make the transition. From there, he tried endurance riding, and he saw a post for the Mongol Derby on Facebook. In case you haven't heard, the Mongol Derby is a 620-mile race, a thousand yep. kilometer long. I, I think it's it's almost like the Iditarod up for horses, isn't it? It is. The uh, except the dogs, the dogs are trying to throw you to the ground and stomp you every step <laughs> of the way. Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the safe place to be horse crazy. I'm your co-host John Hare, and I'm Renee. We received a lot of feedback from the show with Keith Swenson of Stonehorse Expeditions, the uh, company that does the adventure riding in Mongolia. Everyone loved the description of the rides, and one listener suggested we contact endurance rider Tim Finley. Tim had ridden in the Mongol Derby, the longest race in the world. It's a thousand kilometers. It follows a route that is said to be used to carry mail for Chengiz Khan. Tim wanted to bring attention to the high suicide rate of returning veterans and teamed with Nine Line Apparel. He named each horse he rode in the race after a veteran who had committed suicide. Every time Tim switched horses, he wrote another veteran's name on his shirt. He ended up with 27 names on his shirt at the finish line. Tim was riding for all of them. He's got a lot of cool stories. He rides in 100-mile races. If you ever wanted to try an endurance ride, he offers some tips. So let's go to the interview. Hello. Morning, Tim. How's it going? Well, how's it going for you? It's going very nicely. Thank you. A couple weeks ago, I interviewed Keith Swenson from uh, Stone Horse Expeditions in Mongolia. Hey. And he who does horse expeditions. Then my friend who I met uh, several years ago, John Zeleff, he uh, he told me about your Mongolian Derby. I researched your story a little bit, and I found it fascinating. So I thought we could talk about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, there are a few things I enjoy speaking about more than, than that experience. Oh, well, great. Um, first of all, where are you located? I'm in Kansas. Okay. Middle of nowhere, Kansas. <laughs> the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And you're an Air Force captain? That's correct. Actually, I right now I am a, I guess you'd call me a captain separated. Uh, I just got out about two weeks ago. So I have uh, I've turned in my uniform, at least for the time being, and going to go spend some time doing things I want to do. Well, great. Uh, what do you have planned? Oh, wow, I've got a lot. Well, uh, I plan on going back to Mongolia this summer. Uh, I've got a race, a 100-mile race in Virginia, a 100-mile race in Montana, and a 100-mile race in California, as well as a five-day race in Utah and a five-day race in Arizona. Wow. In following your story, you went into the Air Force and... Mm -hmm. And then you you came out. You hadn't had a horse experience up until that time. Nope. I, I was. I mean, I grew up in western Kansas, so, I mean, I was around them. And there was even a – I even had a job where I actually rode on them a couple times. But, I mean, it was really negligible experience. My My first real experience 
uh, with riding horses. Was riding an off-the-track thoroughbred in endurance, and this horse was not not even two months off of the track. And I thought it would be a great idea to take this guy, get him into endurance. <laughs> he uh, he almost killed me in the process. <laughs> but I I had really zero functional experience on the horse, and that was in 2014. Wow. And do you would you mind talking about why you got into horses? I was married to an equestrian, mm-hmm. and I, this is a long story. It's actually the, the, the whole story that's in the process of becoming a book now uh, about my horse. Uh, I went to an auction just to take photos, just mm-hmm. goats and ponies, and it was, a, it was a killer buyer auction. And most of the horses that show up at these auctions, you know, they're, they're old and decrepit and lame or broken or whatever have you. Right. And now he comes out onto the floor, and he's this just this massive yearling, and he's just there's something absolutely brilliant about him. Uh-huh. And I know full well that this guy's this guy's going to get put on the aluminum trailer and sent down to Mexico. And here he is, you know, he's never even had a chance. So just impulsively, I threw up my hand and bid on him. And then I get bit up by a, by a killer buyer, and I thought, well, now I'm committed. <laughs> so I uh, I kept bidding, got it to 120 bucks, and bought him. And I walked out the door with a horse that I knew nothing about. Wow. had no clue what I was doing. And he turned out to be an incredibly storied horse. I mean, unbelievably so. Wow. And uh, without giving away some of the best parts of the story, uh, something happened that should have killed him. And even the veterinarians had no idea uh, why he was even alive. And so they said, well, be thankful he's alive, um, but he'll never do anything. He'll never, he'll never run. He's crippled for life. Well, that's my endurance horse. We can give his name, I'm sure, because his, his name is Honor, and I thought that was a pretty, Honor, yep. a pretty classy name. Well, a lot of people say, well, you would, you, because I was an honor guard. And that's kind of the, the, the crux of the story, is I was an honor guard back when I was enlisted. And everybody said, oh, you would name your horse Honor. <laughs> I didn't name him. That is a, that's the name he came with. And I didn't know it when I bought it. Wow. Now, if that doesn't send chills down your spine, it's pretty special. Yeah. That is amazing. You're you're in the service, and um, you had learned about the Mongolian Derby, and mm-hmm. and what makes a guy want to do that? That uh, just for our folks, it's a 620 mile race, a thousand yep. kilometer long. I I think it's it's almost like the Iditarod up for horses, isn't it? It is. The uh, except the dogs, the dogs aren't trying to throw you to the ground and stomp you every step <laughs> of the way. Well, I, so I got into endurance, and I mean, I just became enamored with it. And then around about August, the, the first year I was in uh, into endurance, I came across, you know, on one of my on my Facebook feed or whatever have you, and mm-hmm. I saw this Mongolian Derby, actually the Mongol Derby. And I thought, man, that is that's something I would do. That that's crazy. I would do that. But I, the truth be told, I never really would. And it's just that's something for other people to do. Right. Just the idea of it, the, the rawness of it, the savagery, uh, the, the brute force challenge that uh, that it presented was absolutely 
captivating. So yeah, that's that's how I found out about it. And, and what t- tell us a little bit about the race itself? What what do you have to go through as far as the horses? It's it is as brutal as they say it is. Uh, this year's or last year's race was 626 miles, longest it's ever been that I'm, uh, that I'm aware of. So we got as uh, as Katie, the ride manager, said, we got eight kilometers for free. <laughs> it was a thousand eight. Uh, we rode 28 horses total. And what the way it works is you start on a horse, you race for roughly 25 miles, you get to what's called an urtu or, or a horse farm where they have all the next horses lined up. You get off your horse, you it's essentially FEI or endurance style meter metrics, if you will, where you you get off and your horse has to pulse down within a certain amount of time, otherwise you're penalized. And once your horse pulses down, you can go to the line of horses and pick your next one, hop on and go. Now, when you get to the year two, you can stop and eat, rest, take a break, whatever you want. Uh, but if you're racing, you have to keep going and you can, because you only get 13 hours a day to ride. So you hop on your horse, go 25 miles, get off, let him pulse down, get on the next horse and go again. Wow. They're just a line of horses out there. And then you say, I'll take the little, uh, the little brown one. Well, they're all yep, little. They're, yeah, they're all <laughs> tiny. That's, and don't be deceived. These horses are as fast as thoroughbreds. They are as quick as quarter horses, and they have just as much, if not more, endurance than an Arab. They are unbelievable. And some of them are flat-out mean. I mean, they're, they're semi-feral. But you, there's certain things you're looking for. You're looking for if you you want to see their ribs. Because here's the thing: these horses are all fed the exact same. They all live on the same forage, mm-hmm. and so the fat ones, the ones that look comfortably plump, those are the ones that, you, unless you want something quiet and docile, uh, you avoid them. You want the ones that look like they're emaciated. You want the skinny ones with the ribs and and the and the very noticeable hips, and you want a lean, uh, a lean, svelte-looking horse. You're looking for galls on the corner of the mouth from the bit, which tells you that that horse pulls and doesn't want to stop. Uh-huh. Uh, you're, you're looking for white spots on the back uh, from where their saddles have been have been placed. Uh, that lets you know that they are experienced runners. So basically, if you get a, a good athletic thin, lank horse with white spots on his back, you know you're getting a runner. And So you're looking for something that's been hardened by wear almost then? No, not necessarily hardened by wear because these horses are never worse for wear. Okay. Uh, I've never seen horses this this rugged. They're unbreakable. Uh, so if, if you find one that is, that's, that's muscular and toned and, and lank, uh, you get on that one, you just hold on for dear life. <laughs> and uh, what were some of the, but when you get that horse, you also get that, the spirit that's behind that horse. And that's a little bit harder to control and direct. What, mm-hmm. Did you have problems, uh, any particular problems with horses that you, that you Oh chose? yeah. Oh yeah. I would say, because I was choosing, I was choosing horses that were, that I would go so far to say was were outside of my ability uh, because I wanted to compete. But it, it landed me some very special horses. But the thing is, is 
as Plutarch said, the wildest colts make the best horses. Well, in Mongolia, the wild colts grow up to be wild horses. Uh, and there were a couple, one of them, uh, very first, very first one I had trouble with, because I named all of my horses, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, I, his name was Raul. Raul was a physical freak of nature. He was built like an NFL linebacker, uh, all black, and just pure, raw athleticism. I got on him, and he threw me within the first 30 seconds, not even. Wow. Threw me to the ground, and, and I mean, it hurt. Like, I, I, thought, I thought I could potentially have busted my pelvis, uh, but there were no doctors at that Urtu. And then I, I thought, I, I got to get back on the horse. I, I got to go. And one of, the, one of the women that I was riding with comes over and puts her hand on my back. And, and I, at the time, I'm in excruciating pain. And she says, uh, do you want a different horse? And so I was writing all the names of my horses on my shirt. Uh-huh. And I looked down at the time, I've only got three names on my shirt. And I thought, well, that's kind of the message of why I'm here. For this. this is my campaign, is to show what it means to actually get back on the horse. And what does it say? What does it say if, I, if I, my example of leadership is to, to not get back on the horse? I mean, this is the cliche. Right. And I need to demonstrate this. So I got back on Raul. And he took off like someone lit a cannon behind him. Uh, but this time, I didn't come out of the saddle and I stayed on. And he ran the single fastest average pace of the entire derby. Wow. He was unbelievably fast. And there, were, there was no controlling him. The only thing you could do is stand in an athletic stance on his back and make sure you forcibly pointed him in the right direction. Most of the time he could stick to the trail, but all he wanted to do was go straight very fast. Just an absolute machine. How long, how long was that 25-mile ride? That that was oh as far as time wise yes uh oh gosh I, I'd have to check my records but uh, let's just say I I don't remember much <laughs> it uh, time passes very uh, very strangely when you're you're fearing for your life I bet now you you said that that you had names on your shirts and what were the significance mm-hmm. of those those names every name uh, my campaign was for both awareness and charity um, to, to either mitigate, eliminate, or uh, otherwise affect veteran suicide. Uh, as, a, as a veteran with a, with a past of my own, it meant something to me to go out there as a captain and lead by example mm-hmm. and show not only that the problem exists, but what a solution looks like. What does endurance look like? What does it mean to keep going no matter what, no matter the pain, no matter no matter what you're having to endure, what does it look like to just keep going? And so I got together with Nine Line Apparel. They sent me uh, the, a couple of their 22 Veterans of Day shirt mm-hmm. shirts. And uh, for each horse that I named, even before I went to Mongolia, I picked names. And uh-huh. each name was a veteran that had committed suicide. And each time I got off a horse, I wrote a name on the shirt. Got on the next horse, rode, got off, rode a name on the shirt. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I crossed the finish line, I had 27 names on my shirt. Wow. And the, uh, 
The stat has been 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Has that improved or changed at all? It has. It has. Uh, at last I heard, it's actually down to 20 a day, which down, I guess, is obviously an improvement, but right. 20 is still too many. way, way too many. And were you able to affect any change in the Air Force? Because I was reading that, that it seemed like the Air Force had some specific problems of its mm-hmm. own. It, it has to do with self-identification. So guys volunteering to raise their hand and say, I had a bad day, I need to go get some help. And the Air Force is a little different because the officers are the warfighters. In the Army, Marines, Navy, the warfighters are enlisted. The officers, or in the Air Force, on the officer side, the officers are the warfighters sitting in the cockpit. And if a pilot or a flyer raises his or her hand and says, I'm having a bad day, I need to go get some help, they will take them out of the cockpit for a time, which does, in fact, directly affect their career because they're not getting hours. They may potentially, what's called, drop dead on their currencies. In other words, they have to. They have to go back and retrain a little bit. And so they're actually falling behind their peers. And so it creates this inherent disincentive for Air Force officers, Air Force officers to raise their hand and come forward. Right, I see. Well, let's talk about horses now. <laughs> and your endurance okay. riding. Because um, when you're training for endurance, is it like uh, human training for a, a marathon? Do you Do you cycle up and down as far as the distance and the, the pace that you get, or do you just put miles and miles under, under your horse? Well, if you're training a horse, they, they, call, they call it LSD, which stands for long, slow distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have, to be, doesn't have to be 25 miles at a time. It could be 8 miles, 10 miles, 12 miles, but it's just about maintaining a, a nice, slow, steady pace and just continuously doing that over and over and over. It takes years to put that kind of a, a good base on a horse. Mm-hmm. As far as the human portion of the training, it just depends on what you're capable of. If you're naturally athletic and naturally balanced and you have a good seat, then, um, then it's, really not, it's really not that difficult to just hop on a horse and go do 25. Uh, if you're in shape and, and you're physically capable, your joints are capable. Uh, but if you're out of shape, never done it before. There's a whole new world of muscles that I found out. I mean, when I got started, I'm in good shape. Uh, But when I got started, it crushed my back. It crushed my knees. It crushed my legs. And here's here's 50, 60-year-old women that are participating in the sport and not batting an eye. Right. I can't can't fathom, like, I didn't even finish my first race. My first race was 25 miles, which is technically not even endurance. It's called limited distance. And I didn't even finish. And I, I didn't take care of myself. I ended up with a migraine. <laughs> it was just <laughs> bad juju all the way around. But the more and more I did it, uh, the more athletic and comfortable my stance became. And by the time I got to Mongolia, I, I was doing upwards of 100 miles a day and, in, and getting stronger each day. So it, for the human, it's just a matter of getting in the saddle and teaching your muscles or which muscle groups you're using to condition those. Right. And once you get that figured out, it's just, it's just about strength and endurance. When you're doing the endurance race, whether it's a 25, 50 or, or longer, 
Are you are you at a trot the whole time, or do you change the pace up, give the horse breaks? You definitely, yeah, you definitely want to change it up. So the trot is your fundamental. I mean, that's you're going to spend the vast majority at a trot mm-hmm. uh, and a comfortable trot for the horse. So you're looking at anywhere between six to ten miles an hour, you know, depending upon the size of the horse, what the horse is comfortable with. Uh, and that's the big thing is what is your horse comfortable with? Right. And you don't want to push him. And you can pull him back, uh, but you just want your horse to be loose and comfortable. And then you also want to change that cadence. You want to change whatever gait he's in just to use different muscles. Because if you don't, as I, as I have discovered in my naivety, is if you let the horse do that same pace, that same uh, the same gait on the same lead or, or the same, um, if you just let him do that same thing over and over and over, it'll tie up a cramp. So you, you want to go to a trot and bring him back to a walk and then take him to a canter and just kind of mix it up back and forth, just keep all the muscle groups loose. And then you also want to make sure you're giving him a chance to stop and, and rest and, and hydrate and get a bite to eat, keep his guts moving. From what I have learned in my very short stint in the horse world, uh, endurance, you spend so much time looking after the horse's physical well-being. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've never been so concerned about my horse's intestinal tract as I have been uh, in endurance and, and trying to keep all that motility and trying to keep them hydrated and you're looking at electrolyte imbalances and trying to keep trying to keep those in his system depending upon the weather and so many factors uh physical anatomical factors go into endurance and it actually it makes you a at least smarter horseman very mm-hmm. quickly because if your horse isn't in condition when you cross the finish line are your penalized is it time penalized or can you be disqualified oh, it, it's Exactly. Well, when you cross the finish line, if they deem that your horse is quote unquote not fit to continue, mm-hmm. you're done. So uh-huh. you just did the entire race and you don't get credit. And frankly, just in my opinion, that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you overextended your horse, and that's that's really the challenge of endurance, is to cross that finish line without overextending your horse. And so in order to do that, your horse has to be conditioned. You have to put those hours and hours and miles and miles into that horse and into yourself to make yourself a better horseman, to make sure you know how to take care of your horse out on the trail for that long period of time. And so if you get to the finish line and your horse is not conditioned to, to continue, well, then you're done. Sorry. And so when you're out training, then do you check your stop and check your horse's pulse? Uh, occasionally, my I, I have a a unique horse, mm-hmm. um, but he most thoroughbreds, yeah, you'd want to. Uh, mm-hmm. With him, he pulses down pretty quick. Does he? In fact, I know something's wrong when he doesn't pulse down. Uh, the last the last ride we went to, um, he was out front. I just let him let him go at his, at his pace. Uh, and it wasn't like a super aggressive pace, but he was having fun. And I made a promise to him a long time ago. I said, if you want to go, I will let you and I will, I will be your rider. And we, uh, we got into the first vet check and I jumped off, loosened up his girth and I started walking him in and his whole demeanor just shifted. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he just deflated right there in front of me. I thought, something's not right. So we brought him into the vet check, and he, his pulse was high. Uh, and that's when I knew right then and there that something was wrong. We went for the went for the trot out, and the vet said, yeah, his gut sounds are... His, that sounds, or his gut sounds are, are odd. He said, just take him back, get some hay in his belly, bring him back over, and we'll check him out, and he can go on with the rest of the race. So I went to do the, the trot out, and this is a thoroughbred who loves to showcase his trot. Uh-huh. And I, I struggled to keep up with him on the trot out. But when I gave him the choo-choo to take off to the trot, the lead rope went tight. And I turned around, and he has this look on his face that says, I don't want to do this. Oh, and so I turned to the vet and said, we're done. Just quit right there. So even even good horses that pulse down quickly and and are in physical shape and capable, even good horses have bad days. And sometimes it has to do with bad horsemanship. There's any, there's any number of things that could have caused it him to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bottom line is, is if I don't take care of him, by acknowledging it's in and there, then I could lead to something worse. So did you just chalk that up to a bad day, and then a couple of days later he recovers and he was fine? Oh, he, he recovered. He recovered 15 minutes later. Uh, and I, he was. It was like he was sandbagging me. <laughs> uh, I took him back. I took him back to the trailer. I gave him some hay and some mash and, and some some senior grain, just to get some grain in his stomach uh-huh. uh, and let him graze. And yeah, not more than 15 minutes. Gut sound started picking back up. Perfect horse, ready to go. Yanking against the trailer because all the other horses are leaving out on the last loop. And I said, no, no, sorry, man. We're done. You're on time I don't now. care how good you're feeling now. <laughs> yep, we're, we're done. And on every horse and every race that you do, do you always ride on her? No, I do, uh, I do a lot of catch rides for other people. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of members of AERC. Uh, that have multiple horses, and obviously one person can only ride one horse at a time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have called me up and say, I got a horse for this race, do you want to ride? I got a horse for this race, do you want to ride? And, and I and I try to take advantage of that as much as possible. One, because I love the sport, uh, and two, because it, it is always an honor when someone says, will you please ride my horse? I mean, that is a, yes. that is a sacred privilege. Because, right. I, man, I, will, I don't know if I could ever ask anyone to ride my horse for me. <laughs> Are you still writing uh, for veteran awareness? I am. And I, I will likely do that uh, for the remainder of my career. For as long as I can safely get in a saddle, I, I, that's probably the cause that I'll ride for. And then you, you are writing a book. Uh, mm-hmm. And when is that going to be available? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to track down the right agent. Uh, I had an agent that just... Uh, we just kind of saw differently as far as the, the the objective for the book and how the book should be presented. So I have a completed manuscript, and as soon as I get an agent and that agent sells it to the publishing house, then it'll be on shelves. Then I have the Derby story that I'm actually in, in the process of outlining and putting together. Mm-hmm. And I I tell a portion of the story when uh, when I go out and present. I go to different conferences or be it horse conference or business conference, or I'll go to a high school or, or a veterans group and sit down and tell the story. Uh, but it's obviously not a thorough version of uh, of the Derby start to finish. But that, as soon as 
book number one is on the shelf and book number two uh, will be in the production phase. Got it. And do you have a working title for book number one yet? Book number one is To Live With Honor. Oh, cool. And book number two is To Endure With Honor. Awesome. And I, as we kind of wind this up, I like to give uh, our listeners a little bit of of advice as far as if someone's looking to get into endurance riding, uh, do you have any recommendations or tips or something that they could do? Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in uh, getting into endurance riding, the, one of the best resources is the AERC, that's uh, the American Endurance Ride Coalition website um, on Facebook. Uh, so go to that Facebook page, and it is a wealth of, of knowledge as well as a wealth of miles. Uh, there are people in that group that have, 15, 16, 17,000 miles under their belt. My uh, and they they have forgotten more about horses than I shall ever know. Uh, but that's a great place to start. And then the other best place to start is to find an AERC sanctioned ride somewhere mm-hmm. in your, your region and show up. If you got a horse, um, you might want to leave it home the first time and see what it's all about, learn what it's all about, and get in touch with someone, see if you can get a catch ride or uh, hook up with a mentor. And there are mentors galore through AERC and they are fantastic people. Cool. Uh, the rides are very casual. There, there's no dress code uh, and there's no breed code. Most people compete on Arabs because they're inherently naturally talented and suited for it. But you can literally use any breed of horse for endurance so long as it's well-conditioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially at a limited distance. And the bottom line is, is if you want to get involved, don't be, don't be intimidated by, by the length of distance or the time in the saddle. Give it a shot. Go out and do some, you know, the green bean rides uh-huh. or introductory, introductory rides that are, they're much shorter. You know, they're 12 to 17 miles for the introductory class. Oh, cool. and it just gives you an idea of what it's like. Well, sounds good. Reading about your um, Mongol Derby experiences, I, I'd kind of like to do that. I've ridden a couple of long rides, but <laughs> not quite like that. And if I if I had to tell anyone, if you're thinking about doing the Mongol Derby, stop <laughs> and and get real with yourself because it is real. If you think you got it in you, go ahead, give it a shot. But I will tell you, I watched some of the world's best horsemen not finish. Wow. And how did you finish? Well, what place? Yep, I finished 13th overall uh-huh. out of 43 total entrants. And out of those 43 total entrants, 27 finished. Oh, my gosh, that's a tough race. So, and if anybody just wants to go to Mongolia and not do the Mongol Derby, you know, just go back and listen to my show with Keith Swenson, who does stone horse expeditions you'll have a much nicer ride you'll get to see <laughs> mongolia just the same but at a much slower pace i'm sure and that is and if you don't want to do the derby do that yeah because if you if you ride horses if you love horses if that's your passion do not leave this life without riding in mongolia because it you will take it with you for the rest of your life and that is a they call it the land of the horse for a reason I mean, they literally invented the horse. That's where you need to go, and that's what you need to experience. 
And you're going back there this year? I have to. Absolutely, I have to. And is it's in your blood. It's for the Derby or for something else? Sort of. Sort of for the Derby. It's called the delivery run. It is uh-huh. much, much slower pace. And all they do is herd up the horses and bring them into the Urtus and get them ready for the race. But you're not actually riding on the race horses. Pretty leisurely. Wow, sounds like a lot of fun. And it, I've seen pictures of the country and not only your videos of of the race, but with Keith. And it's just, golly, it's just absolutely amazing country. Yeah. And now if people want to find out more about Tim Finley, uh, can we send them someplace? Yeah, you can uh, You can find me on Instagram at Tim and Honor. Uh, same with Twitter, at Tim and Honor. And you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you just look for Tim Finley. It's the black and white photo. Um, Calvin and Hobbs is a backdrop. And, uh, yeah, by all means, drop me a message. Say hi. Well, awesome. I really appreciate you uh, taking time to talk to us about your experience and the best of luck to you on uh, your rides this year. All right, great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And when your book comes out, come back on. We'll talk about I'd love to talk more about Honor. I've, I've learned a little bit about his story, and I can't wait to read your book. Great. Yeah, I definitely will. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. That was good stuff. Do you ever think you'd try an endurance ride? I think I would like to. I would like to start with a, a shorter distance, please. I don't think three blocks is an endurance <laughs> ride. Well, you can find all the links at woepodcast.com. Subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and you will never miss an episode. You can take us along when you ride or doing chores around the barn. Wherever you go, we're there. Woe Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, we're everywhere. Hey, what's that on your shirt? I think you got a little Woe Podcast on you. Well, anyway, you need more? You can join our mailing list at wopodcast.com. Every Friday, I'll send you a quick tip, something you can do to build a better relationship with your horse with just a few minutes practice. Thanks again for listening to the show and sharing this podcast with your friends. We've really grown in the last two months and we owe it all to you. So until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>